Hello, and welcome to Media Mouthwash, live from Grandad's Potting Shed. I'm Daniel Bentley. <laughs> Joseph Stashko. And if you're wondering what I'm talking about, we're, uh, we're in a uh, recording studio at the University of Central Lancashire's Preston campus. Um, not actually the optimal for recording, as there is a knocking noise in the studio when the wind's blowing. There's some kind of gremlin in the pipe, or... There's a small animal crawling around in the air shaft. Yeah, so we, we may as well be in Grandad's uh, potting shed for, for all it matters. It's quite distressing. So um, thanks for tuning back in, those who've listened to us before, and hello to any new listeners we have. Uh, you're in for a rollicking treat of media dissection. Slimmed down and streamlined. Yeah, we've listened like to your feed. We've listened to your feedback. Uh, previous episode was probably a bit too long, so we're going to keep it snappier. So you know, we've gone from being marathon runners to, uh, you know, the kind of Usain Bolt of podcasts. Yeah, where, you know, slim down, powerful, only over a short distance. It's going to be good. <laughs> so we're going to talk a bit about the design of news websites and have a look at a British newspaper that's done it this week, and then we'll go on to our regular features on Gaff and App of the Fortnite. So to start with, we're going to look at the redesign of the Independence website, which brings it in line with the slight redesign they did to the paper a couple of weeks ago. Initial responses to it weren't too positive, were they, Joe? Yeah, you were angry about this, weren't you? I was angry. I was like, I don't think I've actually publicly voiced an opinion on this yet. I'm still kind of getting there myself. Um, But you wrote a blog post about... um, reactions and also you did you have a comment removed from the independent website or it didn't get put up or i, I complained about my comment not being there <laughs> and then it got then it got put up right yeah so i mean your gripe was the fact that it doesn't put the actual content on you know the article basically as the most prominent thing on the page if i can understand that yeah exactly yeah. actually and on the kind of subject of design slightly reminiscent of the google reader redesign yeah which doesn't really put the reading section of the rss feed in you know the most prominent place and in terms of color coordination or positioning yeah i mean i it's a weird one because i think your point about having a sort of above and below the fold for websites is really important like when you first hit that story page on the independent website you see a small headline you see a lot of most viewed links on the sides and then you see a tiny smidgen of the top of a photo emerging no text no nothing so i mean i don't know if you want to expand I, on what I don't, your views I don't, are. I don't i don't think there's a problem with a fold um on news websites as long as there's um something to to draw you down um and it's not you know you can scroll down okay but it's just not there and it, it just sort of says something about how much the content's valued on on the article page. So people complain about the news being commoditized, no one will pay for news, you can get it all there for free anyway. But what newspapers need to do is like say, hey, we have great content, we write amazing articles, we have great journalists, this is why you should value us as a brand. And when you're squeezing the article into the minority space of a page, what you're saying is, is, Okay, well, we've got this story on here, and it's interesting stuff, but hey, why don't you go to all these other links that we've got to other sections of the website? And it's like, well, if this article's so good, why don't you just let me read it and then suggest some other articles for me to read? The Independent said um, this was very much a work in progress, and they, they would be looking to improve things over the coming weeks. Now, 
another point you raised in your blog post was the fact that this kind of culture is already quite common in a lot of startups, um, but it's just implemented in a different way. So there's the gremlin in the pipe. What, what you would do in a startup was release this kind of design if you had redesigned something um, to a select amount of users, maybe trusted users, maybe your most um, participative users, um, and get them to basically just run through it and almost kind of tear it to shreds and build it back up again. You know, point out what they like, point out what they don't like, the interesting thing about everything that Google do nowadays, I, ju I just got the new Gmail today and, um, you know, the little send feedback tag that comes through all the time. Yeah. That's there all the time. I, I, I personally don't use it, but the fact is it's available and it's easy to use. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 I was actually talking, uh, talking about Google on the blog post because um, I was actually reading a really good book called In the Plex by um, the journalist Stephen Levi and it's you know it's documenting the whole history of the Google, but what's made Google successful is doing exactly that rolling out improvements or what they consider improvements or tweaks to one percent of the people, and then you know analyzing their behavior. Do they stay on the page longer? Do they click out to more different links? If they'd have done that and solicited the feedback of that group, then you wouldn't have uh, you know. You can't be forgiven for trying in that respect. So if you wanted to take it forward from here and if you were as a consultant or even as a user of the independent, how would you, what would you ask them to change from the current design? Okay, I th there's, a, there's, a, there's a, uh, a valid space for most viewed articles and that's on the homepage. Stick them there. Yeah. Latest in education news along with this, you know, a story about education put it at the end yeah you know not when i've just started reading yeah, the article yeah. because think, by the time um, you scroll down to the end of the article those links there you just left yeah. it so it's an interesting thing because um on the new york times they've got a really nutty thing some people probably find it a bit annoying where it works out when you're about three quarters of the way down the article and a little related article pops up that's helpful because i'm getting to the end and maybe I want to continue my reading further the ultimate kind of logical conclusion of that kind of thing is the huffington post where it's just so over the top. It's like, so I'm looking at an article now about um, the Occupy London movement, and I have the option to like be, become a fan of the author, subscribe to the RSS, email them, follow them, like them. I can share the article on Twitter, Facebook, email, Google Plus One. I can add it to a collection. There's topics of 99%, Church of England, Graham Knowles, Op Occupy London, St. Paul's, there's a social news tab, which I don't even know it works. Yeah. I can post it on Reddit and stumble upon. And it's not so much the options. It's just that the way that they're implemented, it's just kind of thrown everywhere. And it doesn't make me want to share, you know? Like, I think a lot of the time, simple works really well on these sorts of things where it's kind of quite evident how you can share something. And that's just yeah. left alone. Whereas at the moment, I'm not entirely sure what all these buttons do, you know? I really don't like so. sharing stuff when the site is that busy. I actually yeah. like, if anything, um, I always click on the print option and then you just get the article just as text yeah. or sending them a link to like a readability version of this. Because yeah. I just, you know, if I'm sharing something, I want the people to read it, not get, you know, distracted with anything else on it. If I was going to point out a really nice news design for the people who do duck behind the paywall on the Times, it is really well designed um, story pages. So I'm looking at a story at the moment on the Greek referendum and on hitting the front page you have a, a really good photo of Sarkozy and Merkel 
and then there's a euro crisis topic page tab next to it um, which is just a photo of the euro symbol um, it's nothing intrusive and then there's two related stories and that's it and then it's it's all pretty much obvious where the story is straight away um, there's no crowding on the right hand side it's all framed very nicely I mean to be honest when you're reading the article it looks like you put it in instapaper or something like that you know, like a readability app, um, yeah. because it's just presented really nicely without any clutter. So we're going to play a clip now of um, an interview I did with Greg Davidovitz, who um, used to be the editor of Haaretz, which is a quality news source in Israel. He's based out of Tel Aviv, and now he's um, a design consultant for news websites. And he has this great philosophy, I, th I think, on, um, on news design. He calls it the news show. So you want to create this entertaining, engaging experience for someone uh, reading it. Um, you know, it's something that um, publishers have done very well with iPad apps, um, creating really nice, rich, engaging content on iPad apps. And it's something that they really seem to struggle with when, when they go to the web. Um, Greg uh, explains himself a lot better than I do, and I, I don't want to uh, paraphrase him too much. So uh, here we go. I would say that what we are seeing in print is the fact that you are able to receive a lot of the metadata of the information via the graphics of uh, how it is shown. So basically, when you see a dramatic headline, you understand immediately it's dramatic. If you have an analysis, then you understand only by the way it is uh, shaped that this is an analysis. And the fact that you are wo working with the subconscious of your readers is very, very important because it's exactly not the kind of experience in which you say, this is important, this is analysis, this is a, a news feature. You, are making me f you make me feel that, and that's much more effective and much more quick. But if I have to say what are the components of the, of the basic news show, I would divide it into two. The first, dramatic drop of the information density. Roll with, with their eyes. You know, I present you 20 stories. You don't have to do anything. You just sit in front of the screen and you move your eyes around the story. The, it seems like an advantage, but it's a disadvantage because you put the people in a position in which they have a problem of choosing, of searching, of seeing different things and seeing what fits them and what doesn't fit them. So the first thing is lower the information density. Let the content speak. If the content doesn't have space, it can't speak. The second thing is once you have this ability of giving space to the, to the content, then the question is how are you using that? And that's why it's very important because these things are connected. If you just lower the information density and you keep the same structure again and again, it becomes even more boring than before. So you have to lower the information density and then enable the editors to create this, let's call it the magic of content. It's the magic of content in which you are creating a content experience out of what you have. And for that, you have to have freedom. You have in these areas to be able to play with the content, what I called to move the template to the article level. So basically, I can play with each of the articles and they connect in, in, the, right, uh, in the right way. And uh, when you play with that, I would say that the four basic criteria for playing are, one, the drama level, 
And of course, the drama level of the templates that are up the site influence the site uh, as, a, as a whole. And when you go down, of course, when something is bigger, uh, the subconscious of the, of the users immediately recognizes that this is also an important story. The second thing is uh, uh, having... Sorry, that's a cat. <laughs> The second thing is having the best uh, uh, element forward. So uh, when you have these links with a small uh, a video pic, it's, I, I call that, I don't remember if I said that when I presented, that's anti-journalism. Saying, you know, I have a story, click to see the best feature of the story. It's like, it's, that's not journalism. So you have to be able to put the best thing you have in front. That's the second. The third is information packages. I didn't have time to speak about that in the... Uh, in the presentation, but you're not just covering them by one article, but you're basically creating a package. You have the main story, you have the analysis, you have the reactions, you have another connected story, and you're basically creating kind of a mind map of the story for the, for the reader. And that mind ma map is very important from a lot of angles. It enables the reader to be his own editor and decide what angle he wants to see. It, uh, it enables it to to, to catch a very big um, a very big surface so it's you, you can see the effort that you put in you can get a lot of the story just by reading the headlines because you have the different angles uh, on the headline level and not on the text level only and so on so the package is the third and the fourth is the identity of the the article in terms is that a news is that a feature is that an analysis is that an opinion so you are able to communicate with a with a reader what kind of information uh, he's getting. And then if you have lower information density, flexibility to editors, and the ability of copying that by using this Lego system to all the screens, you have a, a product, a journalistic experience of a product that is visible on all the different devices. So, moving on to our gaff of the fortnight. And this fortnight's gaff of the fortnight is a, I don't know, a gaff stroke hero of the Fortnite because it's an incredibly stupid thing to do but also an incredibly brave thing to do. And that's what the French satirical magazine Charlie Hebdo have done, which is produce a magazine that they claim is edited by the Prophet Muhammad and they've changed the name of the magazine to Sharia Hebdo, um, and it's you know it's a satirical comment on the elections in Tunisia and how they've uh, elected like Islamic clerics into government sure. and, and and Sharia law, and as a result they've been firebombed and burned down. Anybody who who publishes mocking commentary on the Prophet Muhammad knows what they're getting into. Yeah, um, Charlie Hebdo have have been in trouble with this before. In 2006, they, they got into trouble with... I think they reproduced the, the uh, bomb cartoon from the uh, Danish newspaper. I think it's interesting as well, because um, kind of in context, it's not like this is a publication that's suddenly gone out on a limb. You know, like they do have a history of this kind of thing. Yeah. And just scrolling through a few of their covers, they uh, had a front-page illustration of Nixon and uh, Brezhnev on the toilet together. They've had Jesus on the cover, Saddam Hussein, when the new pope was sworn in, put him on the cover. They've had Gaddafi in the past, mm -hmm. Bin Laden, um, all sorts of things. You know, they're kind of quite well known for doing things like this. So, yeah. I mean, it's a great shame. Uh, 
France, you know, along with Britain, has this like great satirical tradition, you know, going back hundreds and hundreds of years. And it's a real shame that, you know, freedom of expression, freedom of speech is just not tolerated by, you know, yeah, Islamic extremists. Do we know, um, you know, what the kind of future of the publication is or do you know any kind of implications for well, future editions? The editor says that everything's burnt down. <laughs> All the computers, their entire office, everything wow. has 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 been burnt down. Yeah. So at the moment, the 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 magazine. Uh, it's incredible. Uh, yeah, because that's the thing. It's like, I mean, the same would happen if it was Private Eye. You know, they only have one office, one yeah. small office. So, one thing like that, and it's game over. Bravo, Monsieur Editor. <laughs> um, you are our gaff and hero of the <laughs> fortnight, and. We wish you all the best in um, <laughs> assembling some sort of uh, newspaper in the future. <laughs> so, finally, Joseph, your app of the fortnight. Yes, my app of the fortnight. Um, traditionally, I've, well, in the last two times, I've tried to focus on uh, journalism apps that, you know, allow you to do. Um, to practice journalism better in whatever form that is. Um, this is taking a slightly more indirect route, but I still think it's a real boon for anyone who has a smartphone. Um, now, the app is called Anavo. It's from Israel. Spell it? Uh, O-N-A-V-O. Okay. Um, and they have apps for the iPad, iPhone, and Android. You know, everyone's dealing with creaking data allowances now. I have to certainly watch my uh, usage quite a lot when previously I didn't. Um, and all sorts of things, you know, getting Spotify mobile, streaming video and audio and stuff like that. People are just using their smartphones a hell of a lot more and the networks haven't really caught up with it. Now, Anavo are trying to change that because what they've done is built an app which magically, it seems, kind of shrinks your incoming data before it reaches your phone. Now, this is intended primarily, at least, you know, in their view, for people going abroad and not getting stung by 500 pound you know roaming charges when they get back i've been there yeah have you actually yeah yeah well um it wasn't as bad as 500 pounds but it was it's pretty terrible it was three figures and you had to pay up i uh i harassed um <laughs> my network operator of choice um and they reduced it slightly out of goodwill mm. so um and i don't know about you but i've exceeded my like domestic data allowance yeah a of times. i've done it a couple of times and then you, your your data just completely stops yeah it technically you, you technically still have it but it you can't do anything really well i'm on t-mobile and when i've exceeded my usage limit i only get access to email services yeah it only yeah. lets me access my emails yeah if I tried to do any sort of um, browsing or or using um, an app that accesses data, then it was, I said, "Well, can I, you know, can I pay ten pounds for to get some more data?" And like, no, you'd have to wait till next month. So this would like, you know, definitely be useful if you're a heavy data user. Yeah. So I mean, just to kind of show you of the uh, the kind of power of this app. Unfortunately, they haven't rolled out this feature for the Android app. Right. Which is really annoying. Um, well, they are working on it. If but you're an Android user, you're used to that. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Um, comes with the territory, but generally, all, all, all you get with the Android app is it tracks how much data you have and shuts down any apps that overuse data, and then warns you if you're about to hit your allowance, which you can kind of set up. So, if Android 
it's useful, but it's not really, you know, kind of at the crux of this app. Anyway, so the guy who set up the Next Web tech blog um, has written about how much it saved him on kind of various um, apps and services. Yeah. So when he was abroad, he used, he would have used um, 2.56 megabytes on web browsing. Um, and the app saved him 1.99 megabytes. Right. So he ended up only using like 0.6 of a megabyte. Um, and then the, he breaks it down into calendar, maps, Twitter, iTunes and App Store, Mobile Me, Apple GPS, um, and other apps. Um, it didn't seem to do much on uh, stuff like iTunes at all. But as an average, um, for a total download of 14.9 megabytes, he saved 5.5 megabytes. Right. And that was using lots of different things. And sometimes that can make the difference between, you know, me- making a data allowance and going over it, well, especially when, if you use it every day. I mean, when a megabyte can be, you know, four pounds, five pounds. Yeah, exactly. Abroad, then obviously that's quite a significant saving. I mean, if you have to use your phone. Yeah, you know. it's definitely worth it. So that's my app of the fortnight. It's Anavo. You can check it out. I'll put all the links on the show page. Um, and iPhone users... Um, quite jealous really so that's about it for this fortnight um thank you very much for the studio for sort of actually behaving itself through that i think we only had the uh, the one clunk through. yeah the one clunk I'll, um, I'll go and investigate in a minute thanks for listening we should hopefully back be back on a more regular basis if you have any suggestions for articles for the show tweet us at media mouthwash or leave a comment on the tumblr which is mediamouthwash.tumblr.com and you can probably email us if <laughs> no just tweet us just tweet us yeah, yeah. and if you um if you feel like you're doing something cool exciting yeah let us know we, um, we, we'd love to speak to you you know if, yep. you, if you've got anything to promote we'll be nice definitely yeah you will not go in the gaff section of the show um yeah that's about it cheers